So over the last few weeks, we've not been doing kind of classical apologetics, uh, but kind of shifting into some of the major obstacles that people have uh, to the kind of hinder them from uh, believing what we believe and engaging with us um, as Christians. And this week is a tough one. Uh, again, uh, I kind of say that every week, but there are some big things that people deal with that hinder them from coming to church. And and this week, it's looking at uh, how people accuse the church, uh, the Bible, and God uh, of being uh, anti-sex, anti-homosexual, kind of regressive, closed-minded, and and they really battle with that. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. We understand it's dangerous territory, and so I want to encourage you guys with this. I think... You're not going to, some of you are going to leave tonight potentially being offended, maybe upset, but I want to encourage you with this. If you have questions, something that's said in this message that you kind of maybe sparks a thought or you don't agree with, that's great. Write it down. I'm not going anywhere and we'll happily engage with you guys after that because in a sermon like tonight, we don't have a couple of hours to kind of unpack everything. And so we might just only touch on something that you need greater clarity on, and, and you would like uh, some of that stuff kind of dealt with. Grab a cup of coffee. I'll be at the front. We can sit at a table. Steve will join us, and uh, we'll be able to have a good conversation and answer and clarify some of the things that you might have. But here's the thing. Even now, you're probably thinking, like, Craig, you're actually going to talk about sex tonight. Yes, we are. In church, with the Bible, we are going to talk about sex, we're going to talk about gender, Uh, we're going to engage with some of those things. Why? Because God does. You know, you maybe grew up in a church culture, maybe quite conservative, that you never spoke about those things. The reality is God does. And because God does, we can. And the danger is, with us being so silent on these topics and these issues, as a church, What's happening is, is culture is discipling everyone because culture definitely speaks about sex. Uh, culture is not shy to speak about it at all. And if we aren't discipling uh, each other around what the Bible and what God teaches around sex, uh, what's happened is even as Christians, the cult- culture has uh, engaged with us because uh, culture and Christianity clash big time on the topic of sex and gender. And really what is at the heart of it is, is what is okay, what isn't okay, who's right, who's wrong, uh, what are the boundaries, what aren't the boundaries. I mean, a couple of things in the last few weeks that has really highlighted this for me. Um, some of you guys might know who Jimmy Fallon is. And he's a late night talk show host in America, very, very popular. And uh, he had a guest on his show, Kanye West, Uh, Quite a controversial uh, guy as well. But what was so shocking was how open Kanye West, who's married and has uh, two daughters, I think he has daughters, I won't go the number, Um, but how open he was about his porn habits. Open on national, international TV. And I was shocked. But again, culture's going, well, that's okay. Uh, there, again, um, I don't know if you guys listen to 947 uh, when you're driving, but during last week, they had a little snippet in the afternoon drive show called How Disgusting is Google? And 
again, this is how culture is discipling people. Uh, you had to guess the ending of the sentence. So basically what they would do is they would kind of type in the first few words and you had to finish the sentence. And again, just, it was like, uh, is it okay to was the, what you had to complete as one of the most searched things on Google. And again, because of how culture is discipling and how uh, the problem with the church being so silent is because, again, one of the number one things searched for on the internet is, is it okay to sleep with my sister? Again, because society and culture is pushing boundaries so aggressively where the church has been remaining so silent on it and this is part of what's happening. And again, this week, uh, it's just horrific when you think of what's happening in culture is uh, the average age that someone starts to look at pornography was 10. They have reviewed that and dropped that globally to eight. Eight years old. Again, because uh, the, what culture says is, you know, that uh, sex is an appetite. And you must just engage with it how you feel like it. And we need to just kind of wade into this conversation uh, tonight. And uh, we have been using largely through the series Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 as a foundation to engage with the tough questions. Because we really do believe that that is the foundation for which the whole Bible is built upon. So many of the tough questions and the issues that we're dealing with um, in Scripture are found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we're going to dig into that again tonight. But just again, as a, maybe just a very quick recap as to where we've been up until this point, is that uh, what we've covered so far is that when we look at creation, the only logical conclusion is there must have been a creator. Uh, because of the design in the world, there must have been a designer. If you look at uh, the art of the world, there had to have been an artist. And uh, when we then look at all of that, we look at the pinnacle of it, God creating, and looking at how uh, with humanity there's inherent worth and dignity that is uh, attached to all of us. We as human beings are created with worth and dignity. And in fact, Genesis uh, one of the only ancient documents that uh, credits and, and show how humans are uniquely created with value, dignity, and purpose. And so with that, we're going to jump into uh, Genesis chapter 1. It should be easy to find. It's the first book of the Bible, first chapter. Uh, go there or scroll there. I'm going to read a few verses. between. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 uh, tonight. Genesis chapter 1, and we are reading from verse 26, verse 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, of the livestock, of all the earth, and of all living creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his image. And then image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right, so really just a, a, a quick look at what's going on there. We see God creating humankind. And from there, he shifts into designating, he created them male and he created them female. Uh, there's very much a, 
a uniqueness in uh, how he creates the pinnacle of its being, mankind, male and female. It's very interesting because what's preceding this in the order of creation is, is something quite interesting, is that God is creating opposites. So he creates light and dark. He creates day and night. There's land and water. There's plants, there's animals. There's creatures that live on land. There's creatures that live in the sea. There's creatures that fly. There's creatures that walk. There's this this whole bunch of opposites that he's creating. And at the pinnacle of that is the opposite of creating male and female. Quite interesting uh, to look at that. And the difference between uh, the pinnacle of his creation is something we've covered already, is them being created in uh, the image of God. All of creation together displays the image of God. And it's important to recognize and identify that male and female together display the image of God. There's some unique inherent dignity in male and female. Uh, We love this word, uh, complementarity. Uh, There's not the same. There's there's a difference uh, that go together, which is so important. And this is uh, where we're going to maybe start to get into a little bit of contentious area because uh, most of culture will reject what I'm about to say. But what we see here is binary. Same but different. Now, most of culture will say that's untrue, Some people might even go as far as saying that's hate speech. To say that there's that level of difference between uh, men and women. But we see that together, that that's the way God has made it. More of uh, God is displayed in the togetherness of male and female. More about life, more about love is displayed when they are together. Understanding the unique difference, but same in in God's created uh, image and dignity. And this is, again, where culture and the Bible are clashing in a big way. I think one of the more high-profile cases of this over the last few years uh, was Bruce Jenner. Uh, You'll recognize the name, Olympian athlete, uh, father of uh, a number of children. And uh, he then went through some gender reorientation surgery and became Caitlyn Jenner. Now, own reality TV show, and, and that really raised the kind of the debate uh, around uh, this issue of gender uh, and, and sex. And kind of some spill out from that is going like, who can go into what bathroom? Uh, should you have male bathrooms and female bathrooms or just bathrooms? Some of the tension that kind of came out of that. Schools even uh, with five and six-year-olds have been trying to ask kids to kind of plot on a, if this was a line of kind of going on this end male and this end female, where do you identify yourself with? And doing that with five and six-year-olds. Uh, it's quite crazy uh, what's been going on. And uh, again, then you've got kind of people who are just really kind of struggling with the experience where gender doesn't kind of fit their biological sex and even taking measures to change that. So we need to kind of, again, just for the sake of tonight, kind of just distinguish between what we mean by certain things. All right, so kind of two phrases that are very popular. Uh, The one is, again, sex. And what we talk about is we talk about our biological sex. So that's determined by the presence of male and female chromosomes, XX, XY. 
The debate doesn't really lie here because, again, at DNA level, uh, that's what it is, and people don't argue and can't argue uh, with that. But where there is a huge debate is this term gender identity. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, that's how people talk about the experience. Uh, again, uh, either it's like male or female. It's one's uh, psychological and emotional experience of gender. Either words like, in other words, I might be biologically male. That's my DNA. I have uh, those chromosomes. But my experience of life is that I identify as a woman. And that's where there's a, a lot of debates happening is you're going, okay, well, you have and you can have a sexual orientation, but your uh, gender identity is something different or you identify differently to what you are biologically. And that's where a lot of the debate is, is happening because, again, people are going, well, I'm a female, but I identify as a man. I feel like I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or I'm a, a woman or trapped in a, in a man's body. So what do we do with those things? Again, uh, the tide of culture and the push of culture is let them be. I mean, uh, there was a, a case in Canada where uh, a lady took the Canadian government to court because uh, she had a child and she had to uh, tick on the birth registry forms, male or female. And she refused to tick it because uh, her uh, stance was, who am I to determine and impose a gender on my child? Uh, they can, when they are ready, decide what gender they are. And up until that point, I'm going to have nothing to do with determining and uh, imposing gender on my child. And actually, one, her case, did not have to specify uh, the gender of her child. In fact, I mean, it's crazy what's happening is that, uh, you know, gender reveal parties are a big thing. Not anymore. Uh, they don't do gender reveal parties anymore uh, because how can you do that? That's uh, uh, wrong to reveal the gender of your child when they aren't even born yet. So they call them babies now uh, because uh, they're not babies, neither male or female, and uh, allowing the baby to choose their own self-identified gender. And so this is the voice of culture. You are what you feel, and that's the emotional and psychological side of things. And the argument is self-perception is sacred. And you can't ever challenge someone's self-perception about themselves. It's really interesting. There, there's a, a thing called the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel. And they have found out that there are as many as 6,500 genes containing sex-specific instructions. And that's for both male and female. And so the hard part about this, and, and again, this is where there's so much of a struggle, is that somebody can go through all the cosmetic surgery. They can go through all the transplants, implants, hair removal, reconstructive surgery, all the hormone treatment. They can go through all of that. But none of that will change the genetics that they were born with. Uh, that uh, binary of male or female, whatever they change, can never change that. In fact, in the States, as a minor, you can have gender reorientation surgery without consent. It's really hectic. And the research is coming in that at least three out of four cases 
where someone is battling with their gender identity eventually resolves itself later on in life. So it becomes quite hectic because a 15-year-old male can feel that he's actually female, go through all the surgery, but at 25, uh, things kick in and all of a sudden starts to feel uh, like a man. Now all of a sudden, you know, has to try and undo uh, everything that has already happened. So here's another question to kind of think about in all of this. Is when do we match the body to the mind and when do we try and match the mind to the body? All right, so it'll make a bit more sense now because the current debate is all about matching your body external to how you feel internally. But now apply that to someone who is anorexic. Right, so externally, they weigh 40 kilos, 45 kilos. But internally, when they look into a mirror, and then for whatever emotional, psychological factors, they see themselves as considerably overweight. Right, what do you do in a situation like that? Again, you don't match the internal to the external. You do it the other way around. Because that's how we love and and help people. We don't help her in her understanding and say, yes, you need to lose more weight and lose more weight and lose more weight and matching how she feels internally. You help her understand who she is externally um, or he externally. There's a big part of uh, the complexity is that can anything be objectively true? I'm so glad that's working because we're going to play a video to kind of help see a bit more of this. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, (laughs) yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, boy, (laughs) really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. (laughs) I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions, just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. 
So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six feet five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? So again, a whole bunch of stuff going on in that video. And uh, I love how people's responses uh, when he pushed... Uh, the boundary as much as he could in that, uh, where they started to get a little bit uncomfortable. And you could even go one step further if you disagree, because, you know, if I had to claim myself that I'm a six foot five Chinese woman who's seven years old, uh, would you be comfortable with me going into the same bathroom as your little girl? And again, you'd all say no. And what's happening is you've got people who go, well, this is my morality and this is what I understand. And what I accept, uh, and you start to find the, the holes in that when you kind of push it a little bit more and more and more. But the, the one lady, she, she kind, of, kind of alluded to the thinking on this is going freedom. Because this is all in the name of freedom. You should be free to believe what you want about yourself and the world. And, and free to engage with it how you want to. And one of the kind of pushbacks towards Christianity is there's no freedom in Christianity. Uh, there's no freedom in how God has uh, created and designed things. And again, that is one of the kind of the big misconceptions and misunderstandings about what God has created and the way he has created because he has designed incredible freedom for us. And let's get back to some scripture, Genesis Chapter 1, verse 28. The next verse on. And then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful 
and increase in number. Uh, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. We'll kind of stop there. And then jump with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read a bit more uh, there. We're going to read from verse 20. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. So the man gave names uh, to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her uh, to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We know this passage, it gets quoted at weddings, something that we've covered, uh, you would have heard a lot. And here's what we see what God's design is. It's one man, one woman together in marriage. Jesus quotes this passage, Paul quotes this. And again, I love this. It's God makes them uh, not the same, equal but different. Verse 1 or chapter 1, verse 20, it says, be fruitful and multiply. So uh, I wonder what God was kind of thinking in their experience in the, in the garden at this time. Uh, a huge part of God's design was uh, reproduction. Again, not the only reason, but part. If you look at what he creates, is uh, plants that have seeds. Uh, everything is there for reproduction. Uh, every single one of us here has come from a biological man and a biological uh, woman. And that is part of God's design and plan for humanity. If you think of the environment that Adam and Eve are, are, are in, and that environment, again, being created in the image of God and in his likeness, uh, mom brings uh, the image of God into the family. The dad brings the full image of God into uh, the family. That's what God's design is for us. Again, it's not always how it happens, but that is his design. He wants both presence, bringing the image of God to them, growing, home, growing up in a home of community, being loved, uh, nurtured, experienced uh, dignity, being shaped that way. Healthy families, healthy nations. And again, uh, this is maybe where there's a big clash because that's not what culture accepts. And uh, the dominant uh, narrative of culture is if, right, if two people love each other, what harm is there if it's male and male or female and female? The big thing is uh, nature versus nurture. How can we deprive someone who uh, feels that they're attracted to someone of the, the same gender? And again, an argument is, well, we see that in, in nature, right? Uh, we can uh, talk about uh, species of animals that are known to have uh, same sex uh, relations. And so because we see that in nature, we should not be surprised to see that in humanity. But there's a couple of other things that we see in nature when it comes to sex, right? So a male buffalo will round up as many females as he can uh, to mate with all of them and will gorge and fight to death any male that opposes him. I don't know if we should uh, do that. Uh, female praymantis 
after mating will devour her mate. Again, I don't know if we should adopt that uh, practice into, into nature. And in fact, very little evidence of monogamy in nature. We can talk about so much of this. And again, uh, an argument that comes up, I have this urge within me, therefore this urge must be normal, and it must be natural and moral. But then how do we even determine where that line is? And, And who gets to kind of call that? Because again, are all the urges that are in within, within me, are they okay? And again, we can talk about a number of things, like what happens if what is in me is to have more than one wife, or a whole host of things. So, you guys know TED Talks? Uh, there, there's been a, a lot happening in the TED Talk space uh, around pedophilia, which is really, really scary. And uh, there's been a couple of things about breaking the taboo around it. And uh, a whole bunch of stuff around, uh, I want to maybe just uh, get the full quote here for you. This was this one Dutch psychologist, and she went and said, I truly do believe that every person is longing for love at some point in their life. And what if this love that you really wish for will forever be impossible? She's talking specifically about pedophilia. That must be a really lonely situation to be in. Uh, You can see the logic that they're going for. You know, break the taboo. Uh, You love this. Break the silence. Your urges are natural, so they must be okay. And so again, what people are struggling with is freedom. They're struggling uh, with boundaries. They're struggling to uh, have like an external boundary put in place uh, because uh, that's terrible. What do I do uh, with all of these urges? I love this quote by Tim Keller. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but the presence of the right restrictions. Read that again. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but the presence of the right restrictions. So we see how God creates male and female unique, together displaying the full image of God. We then see how he created them for each other. You'll unite together, become one flesh. Marriage is God's intended best for male and female. We see the benefit of reproduction in there. But I love this quote by another preacher, Chris Brown. He's like, God gave Adam and Eve, uh, and then his first words, he makes Adam and Eve first words like, guys, see you in half an hour. You know, this is, uh, I don't think God was like, hey, I have a few extra nerve endings. I wonder where I should put these. And uh, again, I wonder if he was like, oh, so that's what happens when they do that. I don't think any of that caught God off guard. I think that was very much intended to uh, have sex as enjoyable as it is for those who are married. Because that's the freedom that God gives in uh, the way that he created us. There's this one life, there's this entanglement uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, socially, that uh, the way that God uh, created us, again, uh, when a man comes together, joins with a female, new life is formed. That's how God designed it, and he created it to be a very good experience. 
In many ways, culture, again, it just rejects that because culture will say, well, sex is God. And the church will say sex is bad. We have to kind of break the narrative of sex isn't God. Sex was created by God for us. Again, sex isn't a bad thing. Uh, it's what God has encouraged us and given us for us to flourish in the relationships in the way that God has designed it for us. And we need to be able to celebrate that. God did give us boundaries, not to limit us, but to enable us to flourish in the best ways that he has uh, for us and created us for us to flourish. So, so important that... Um, We've seen the pain and the damage of anything outside of the way that God has created and in the way that God has created it. It's so important to embrace that, not to reject that, not to go that's outdated and closed-minded, but to actually celebrate how God has designed us and to celebrate the boundaries that he has put in place, recognizing that when we live fully in those boundaries that the Lord has given us, we do genuinely and truly flourish as human beings. So kind of, kind of bringing a close to this, kind of looked at the binary of male and female, uh, looking at the uniqueness of our gender, and looking at uh, the boundaries that he has given us, not to reject that, but to embrace and celebrate that. And I just for the last few minutes to recognize that in this tension between church and culture, uh, there's a lot of pain going on. And the danger and, and what has been present in the church has been anything outside of that has just been pure judgments and, and a rejection of anybody who is different, anybody who embraces anything different. We refer to this story so much, but Jesus has a woman brought to him who has been caught in the act of adultery. Outside the biblical created norm for us. They bring her to Jesus and uh, want Jesus to kind of approve her being stoned to death. How does Jesus respond to this woman? He first responds to her with grace before he speaks truth to her. And this is a value that we hold deeply to here at Riverside, is we hold together at the same time grace and truth. The truth is she was adulterous. Jesus does not lord that over her. He does not raise what she already knows. Jesus loves her. Uh, I think of this phrase, connect before correct. That so many people are disillusioned with the church because of how judgmental the church has been on anything that is different. We have a sign outside our door that says no perfect people allowed. But I know specifically because of just uh, seasons in ministry of how people who are different, especially when it comes to uh, gender identity, have battled to engage with church meaningfully because of how judgmental the church has been. And something that we need to really think about as a church in this, we know how much this is an obstacle to people coming to faith. That we need to think quite seriously about how we engage with people who are different to us, who do not hold to like a biblical uh, norm of uh, their gender matching their sex. And even then, people who have, for whatever reason, just been lived a life of sexual promiscuity before they came to the Lord, or even uh, that when they come into the church, 
that our position as individuals needs to be grace, then truth. Recognizing, and I, I think I shared this last week, uh, do we climb into a bath dirty or clean? Clean. No, dirty. And it's the bath that cleans us. And it's so important for us to have that posture of love and connecting with them as people, first and foremost. And it's not our place to judge the behavior of anyone without journeying with them uh, relationally first. And in fact, we allow the Lord to transform them because every single one of us is on our own journey. And even then, you know, we love to allow ourselves to have a past, right? But other people have to be supernaturally transformed immediately and not allowed to bring any baggage uh, with them into the church and into ministry and, and things like that, right? It's true. And so to really think about this, that this is such a sensitive issue and so many people battle with this when they come to church that we need to exercise the same kind of grace and love that Jesus did. Jesus didn't accept, again, it was grace and truth, but it was first grace. And how the woman caught in adultery experienced God's grace, allowed her to hear his truth. And she responded to the truth because of the love and the grace that she got from Jesus. And so with all this confusion, with all this anger, uh, with all of this clash of culture, we're going to be having people who don't agree, who are going to come in, uh, who are different. We're going to see uh, what they uh, or how they engage with gender. And you're going to, without having maybe dealt with this before, you're going to find your initial positions maybe going to be one of defensive and not know how to engage. Love. Accept them like Jesus accepts them with grace, love, mercy, relationship before you uh, speak truth to them. I think that's a good place for us to pray and end tonight. One, we're going to just thank Jesus for how he created us and for his intended purposes and best for us. But also, again, to uh, take this opportunity to make a resolution in our own hearts uh, that we understand how people have obstacles to Christianity in the church. But we know what kindness, love, mercy, and grace does to people. And that we're going to kind of make a resolution in our own hearts to uh, live like that uh, and to lay judgment aside and trust the convicting work of the Lord in everyone's life. So let's do that. Father God, I'm so thankful for your word that gives clarity around issues like sex and gender. Jesus, I'm so thankful that uh, you love us so much that you kind of create these incredible boundaries for us to flourish. I want to thank you, God, that you've given us the gift of sex and that enables us to flourish as human beings the way you created us. Lord God, I want to thank you that we get to be a church that loves like you love. And Lord, I pray that you would enable us to love like you love. God, that you would well up grace in us, that we will not be a church that is a hindrance to people coming to faith but will be a place where people can come in, be loved, and can journey towards you. And we thank you so much for that, Lord God. Amen.